There is a candle in every soul. You're listening to Lit Speak with Patty Sheen on Blog Talk Radio. Some dark and cold. There is a spirit who brings a fire, ignites a candle, and makes his morning and welcome. Here we praise the truth in God's creation through the ideas inspired by human imagination. During this hour, we hope to ignite your candle, that you may use it to brighten the darkest corners in your world. morning and welcome to Literally Speaking right here on Blog Talk Radio on this crisp February morning. In this hour, we invite you to listen for an idea that will inspire you to tap into your imagination. Wanted to make a little comment this morning in that we have three people on the line who are in three different locations throughout the country, and therefore listeners may experience somewhat of a delay when listening to the show this morning. Have you accumulated a host of skills and exciting experiences throughout your career, then wondered what to do with all that information after retirement? Do you like to read thrillers that pique your curiosity about the darker aspects of reality, such as cyber attacks, human trafficking, and terrorism? Do you wonder how a writer can bring the goodness of God into stories based on such evil events? You'll want to stay right here on Literally Speaking on Blog Talk Radio as we chat with today's guest, author H.L. Wegley. Harry's exciting career started with his service as an intelligence analyst and a weather officer while serving in the United States Air Force. As a civilian, he performed research in atmospheric physics, earned an M.S. in computer science, then worked 20-plus years in systems development at Boeing. After retiring in 2008, he attended several novel writing workshops, seminars, and conferences. Harry's interest in writing led to completion of eight novels, including the Pure Genius series, a four-book Christian thriller series published by Pelican Book Group. Welcome, Harry. Well, thank you for having me on your show, Pat. Well, I'm very excited to have you this morning. Here about three weeks ago, I finished up the fourth book in the series. So I've got quite a few questions for you this morning. First of all, Harry, what sparked your interest in writing? Did the desire to write develop during childhood or later on in life? Well, it did develop during childhood. I was an avid reader, started reading novels uh, about the time I was nine years old. But I think the writing part started because I was a bit lazy. Um, I learned <laughs> I could, I learned I could write easily and, and write fairly well, and. Um, my elementary school teachers would allow me to write for extra credit. So it was an easy way to turn a B into an A. And uh, I was a bit lazy with my studies, and so that's what I did. Um, Good then for you. I, I, I took the, um, the, I guess it was college prep series of English classes through high school uh, where we wrote constantly and uh, took some more writing classes in college, but never did delve into fiction, like you said, until after I retired. <clears throat> and you certainly had a huge 
store of experiences to draw on, Harry, in your various careers. What prompted I did. you to create a super intelligent cast of characters? Well, you know, there are probably four reasons. I don't know if you want to hear them all. <laughs> oh, yes, but, I'd uh, love to hear them all. Well, the first one's a personal reason, um, something I don't, I don't think I've ever shared before. Um, by the time I reached junior high age, I realized I was this person that didn't quite fit into the two worlds, so I had, had a foot in each. I was the geek jock. Um, <laughs> I prided myself on being athletic, but I got pretty good grades. So I had these two circles of, of friends and they were not at all alike. And I didn't seem to quite fit in fully with either group. And uh, when I started writing, in fact, if, if you were able to go look at all eight of my novels, they're not all published yet, but in every one you'll find a main character that's like me, a geek jock. Um, mm-hmm. And I think I did that just to pass on my stigma to my characters and make them work their way through that. But it did Actually, I have heard it stated that the first novel a person writes is pretty much an autobiography of themselves. Do you tend to agree with that, Harry? I do. For me, I was really worried about being able to create realistic characters when I wrote that first novel, Hide and Seek. And so the main character, Lee, was me. And uh, it didn't take my wife very long to figure that out. He had my resume, <laughs> my childhood experiences. Um, yeah, he was pretty much me. That did cause some problems. Um, it led to an interesting story, um, if you care to hear it. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I asked my wife when I started plotting hide-and-seek, I can have these two main characters be like a father-daughter platonic relationship, you know, they're a generation apart, or they can be about the same age and we can have some romance. So what should I do? She said, go for the romance because most of your readers will be ladies anyway. So that sounded like a good idea until I started writing and realized I didn't have a clue how to write romance. I put off that and first kiss don't. scene. <laughs> yeah, and that first kiss scene, I put it off as long as I could. When I finally <laughs> put it into the story, the editor had a big note out to the side. Finally, in all caps. Um, but <laughs> my wife asked me to read the manuscript. I said, okay. And I started reading, and it was going along fine. She was enjoying it. And we got closer and closer to that first kiss scene. And by then, she could see Lee and me completely. And then my... Heroine pulls the hero's face down and their lips touch, and I hear this voice say, <laughs> You traitor! How could you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> over, That's funny. Over four years later, she's still jealous of Jennifer, the, the heroine, and I get blamed for everything my male course. protagonists do. <laughs> that, is, that is comical, Harry. I appreciate you sharing that story with us. You said there were four reasons why you created your your super intelligent cast. Yes. Um, the heroine in hide-and-seek needed to be really an Einstein-level IQ in order to push the state of the art in the area that she was working in big data analysis to find the bad guys collaborating on the Internet. 
And um, mm-hmm. so I, I gave her a really high IQ, like 200, I think I said in the book. And, of right. course, she's not, she's not likely to fall for a nice guy like Forrest Gump. She's going to be looking for somebody that's <laughs> intelligent, too. Um, exactly. Lee has 145 IQ, and he, as he says, that he's from the dregs of the genius barrel. Um, <laughs> but uh, besides needing Jennifer to be bright to do her job, um, there was an apologetical thread to this story that I wanted to show as best I could what it's like when a very intelligent person contemplates a relationship with God. And I've been doing a lot of reading and apologetics for a number of years, and so I tried mm-hmm. to, to show that through Jennifer. And then the, the and actually, I guess the, I, go ahead. Go ahead, Harry. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. The, the, I think the final reason was for making um, these characters very smart was I doubted in that first book whether or not I could write a female character from their point of view. I figured if she was smart enough to be a little bit weird that women wouldn't suspect I didn't have a clue how to write from a woman's point of view. <laughs> and that pretty much what I was to going to case. tell you earlier is that I uh, I took a quote, I hope you don't mind me using a quote out of your book from Hide and Seek where you say, and we need to pray and we need to pray somebody listens, connects the dots and is willing to take action. He referring to Lee stared at the com- compromised laptop. Jennifer shrugged. You can play, pray if you want to, but I don't put much stock in that sort of thing. And this is when he realizes that she's either been very burned by some church or she's an honest-to-goodness agnostic. And what I thought was interesting, Harry, is that later you use the lyrics of a song in Jennifer's interpretation of what they really mean to help Lee realize that she is more a seeker than an agnostic. Yes, I was trying to, that song I think was, uh, oh, it's slipping my mind now. It's about light. But, uh, yeah, I did do that. And And I thought that was interesting because a lot of the time you see in a book where a character comes to have some interest in, in seeking faith, it's usually in a church setting. And I thought this was interesting that you chose the lyrics of a song, which can often be very, very powerful. So I just oh, wanted to yes. bring up that I, I really like that. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah, that, um, Part of that scene got cut from the original story, but I think we left enough of it in that it, it, it accomplished what I was trying to do anyway, with showing how someone that thinks they know just about everything there is to know realizes that They've only reached the very edge of the infinite God, and it just mm-hmm. overwhelms them when they see how much there is out there. They don't know because God is an infinite being. No. Exactly. So tell us what elements readers can expect to find in your books that makes them unique, other than the ones okay. we've already discussed. Okay. Well, I've attached a, a tagline I guess, to my writing that comes out of the fact that I was a meteorologist for about 18 years, and it's always a climate of suspense and a forecast of stormy weather. That kind of sums up my writing. Um, But I I try to write thrillers that aren't, they're thrillers, but they're not chillers. Uh, I don't like to Mm -hmm. scare or horrify my readers. 
Um, so you can pick up a thriller and not not worry about anything graphic. Um, there are ways to write around the dark subjects in a story that you don't really have to include um, the horrifying things or drag your readers through the gutter. So you'll never see that in my writing. Um, most of the time, there's going to be an apologetical thread where someone is answering questions about their faith to a person that um, is not a believer. So that is generally in there, and and usually it comes in two forms. There's the actual intellectual questions that um, one of the characters asks that the other one answers. Then there's the existential questions, those cries of the human heart, that they will see answered in the life of the other person without the words. I try to incorporate both of those into my stories. The romance, it's probably always going to be the case, and it has been so far, that it's first love. That's the best kind, the only kind I know anything about. So, um, <laughs> that, And there's humor that can pop up just about any time. You're into Westerns, aren't you? I see you, Pat. That oh, you, my uh, goodness, yes, I am. Can smoke. Well, do you remember an old John Wayne movie, The Searchers? Yes. Um, there's a scene Barely. in there that kind of... It's been a while since I've seen John Wayne. There's a scene in there that typifies, I think, the kind of humor you're apt to see in my writing. Um, there's um, Most of the main characters are a band of about seven or eight that are hunkered down behind a log on one side of the river, and a band of Indians, uh, hostile Comanches, that are getting ready to charge them across the river. They're outnumbered 10 to 1 by the hostiles. And this old Mose Harper character, who's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, sees what's coming <laughs> and thinks it's time to pray. And the only prayer he knows is one he's heard probably thousands of times. So he's right as the battle's beginning, he says, For that which we are about to receive, we thank thee, O Lord. And because <laughs> right in. <laughs> Everyone bursts out laughing right in the middle of this battle scene, and it's uh, sure. that's kind of what you'll see. you'll see that in my t- stories. Yes, I've noticed that just when the tension gets really intense, there's that moment of comic relief, and that was one of the other one of the many facets that I enjoyed about your stories, Harry. Well, not everyone likes that. I found out. I got my first two star review, and I think that was part of the reason. Oh, is that right? How do you feel about those reviews when they're not so good? How do you, how do you handle that? Um, it would be fine if the people would tell me why, but a lot of times they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like to know, you know why they reacted to the story the way they did because it helps me. Um, sure. But many times you don't get um, anything but a rating out of people that rate you low. Um, and that kind of bothers me. I wish they would just take a little bit more time and tell me why they thought what they thought about my story. Exactly. I've had, I had another author say online one time, I wish that people would not be afraid to provide constructive criticism because a mature author is going to be able to accept that. That would be wonderful. And I think sometimes when we write our review, when when a person writes a review, they're so afraid of offending that author, whereas if they would really give a 
honest opinion, it would help that author a great deal with their next works. Yes, it does. I, um, if uh, all readers would take time to do that in their reviews, that would be great. Because even if the reason they don't care for the story is just they don't prefer that kind of story, that's fine. Um, right, yes. <clears throat> and see, I've used that. I've explained that in some of my reviews. I usually don't read this type of story, so my opinion may not be the best, or something of that nature to just let people know that I'm probably not the best person to judge this, whatever it is. And then if I if there are stories that I read all the time, then I can also say, of all the thrillers I've read, these are among the best, and be honest about it. So if, we'd encur- if we could encourage reviewers to be honest, I think it would do a lot for the whole writing community myself. Harry, I I believe you already touched on this more or less. My next question was how many of the events in your books are based on your real-life experiences? Uh, I touched upon it uh, as far as um, my first novel, Hide and Seek, goes. As it was about 80% taken from real-life experiences, but well, all but the terrorists chasing me to kill me. I haven't experienced that yet and hope I never do. But. <laughs> now let's hope not. <clears throat> Uh, but uh, as I was winding down my career working at, at Boeing and doing some um, uh, computer systems development work, I started saving off different news articles and things that I thought might fit into a plot for a thriller. And I had personal experiences that I kept in mind, too. And I, I kind of just put that all together into a logical sequence and came up with plot for my first novel, Hide and Seek. So it was very mm-hmm. um, realistic. In fact, I just talked to one of my old co-workers who's still, uh, he's not yet retired, and was telling him a bit about the book, and he recognized <laughs> the project that we worked <laughs> on, uh, lots of the events. He recognized them, but I did um, obfuscate things a bit, so you um, can't really tell exactly where things are taking place and who the company is and so forth. But it was drawn from real life. Well, I know that I think I put in my review, I had a very hard time reading through that, finishing that first book because you had those people running around in those horrible caves and it just made me so claustrophobic. I I love being up high. Give me heights any time, but don't put me under the ground. (laughs) So I think I mentioned in the review that, oh man, I mean, you, you very much brought that experience to life when Lee is trying to climb under that rock, and he can hardly make it. He's about to get stuck. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, those <laughs> I caves, think sweat broke out on my brow as I was reading it. <laughs> those caves my buddy and I played in when we were kids, they're actually down in southern Oregon, but I moved them up to near Seattle for the purposes of my story. But uh, I had a claustrophobic experience in a cave once, first one ever. I'll never forget it. But we had climbed under that rock you have to scoot under that you were talking about. That didn't bother me so much, but we get into this chamber inside there that goes vertically way up inside the limestone formation. We had one flashlight, four boys, one flashlight. We started climbing the chimney wall. We were up, I don't know how far up, when the light went out. Oh, gee. The air was foul. There were all sorts of moldy things growing. Um, oh, I'm sure. I was 
somewhere, I was the last man in the four, so there was nobody below me. And when it hit, I, it was total panic. I leaped out into the darkness. And mm-hmm. fortunately, my feet hit on a flat rock, both of them. Jeez. And uh, I, I was probably about 10 to 15 feet up. I didn't know that, but I just braced myself and I was okay. And about 10 seconds later, I was under that rock, sprinted out of the cave, and was out panting in a panic attack <laughs> outside the cave. And uh, oh, I've my never, goodness. I've never experienced anything like that before, but when it hits, yeah. Uh, so I did experience what Lee did in that book. Well, I'll tell you, I, and of course, I'm out here with my sister right now in New York, and we've been reminiscing about many childhood experiences. And I remember a time when a babysitter of ours took us and led us like into this, I don't even know what you'd call it. It was like a culvert-like thing that went down into the ground. Oh, I can remember being absolutely terrified. <laughs> and I, I guess maybe that's where that fear comes from because I was just a little kid. But like I say, put me up high and and I'm just really, the gondola scene in, um, I believe it was Malia Bay right. when they're in Triple the gondola. Threat. There you go. Oh, I absolutely love. Yeah, I get confused with the four books, but I absolutely love that scene. (laughs) That was something I would have enjoyed. Harry, we have about three minutes until we go to break. So when we come back, I would like to discuss your books a little bit more. I have a couple of other uh, things that I would like to bring up. One of the things I wanted to do was kind of... uh, give our readers an introduction to Pineapple Express because that very much, the action that you put into the first page just very much sets the tone for that whole book as as far as the fact that it's going to be an an action thriller type read. And there's a couple of other, uh, there's other subjects I'd like to bring up too about why you write the way you do. So when we return from our break, we will discuss that. We'll talk about our giveaway. We're going to be offering a giveaway of, uh, of one of your books here coming up around uh, 8.45. So we will return here in about four and a half minutes. Okay, see you right after the break. Two roads okay, diverged Harry. in a wood. And I took the one less traveled. That has made all the difference. The Road Less Traveled Internet Ministries. Derek and George Live. Becoming Christlike. Solo and Hutch. All stops on the road. The Road of Enlightenment. The Road of Discovery. Join us each Thursday and Friday morning at 8 a.m. Mountain Time and Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Mountain Time as we invite you to join us on a journey. A journey on the road less traveled. Right here on Blog Talk Radio. If you watch a game, it's fun. If you play it, 
it's recreation. But if you work at it, it's golf. A golf course should aspire to generate as much energy as it consumes. And four miles north of Marion, Indiana, is a golf course that does just that. 6,690 yards of pure energy. Arbor Trace Golf Club is a course that's beauty is matched only by its bite. A course that can test not only the steel of one's nerves, but the metal of their irons. It's a course for the beginner who desires to learn the game as well as the player who is ready to challenge it. So whether you're looking to play just for the fun of the game or the opportunity to work hard on it, Arbor Trace Golf Club is the course for you. Give Arbor Trace Golf Club a shot because in golf, the most important shot you ever make is the next one. Stay connected to what matters most with high-speed service from Seacom. For the home, we offer access where you need it most. Whether you're looking for high-speed internet or an in-home voice package or both, Seacom has your house covered. Send emails, download music, and surf the web with the fastest service in southeast Colorado. Our two-way wireless connections offer download speeds of up to 15 megabytes. But with a fiber connection, the sky is the limit. For the business, Seacom offers voice plans, broadband internet, BSL, and Ethernet circuits. Our fully integrated Metro Ethernet platform segregates your data traffic logically at the switch, avoiding the latency of multiple routers and quality of service overhead. With only a single router between you and our nationwide backbone carriers, you really will experience the Internet at the speed of light. We also offer point-to-point data links to connect all of your business locations. And if you're looking for carrier-grade data transport or dark fiber, look no further than Seacom's extensive privately-owned fiber network. We own and maintain our own network with more than 1,200 miles of fiber and growing throughout southeast Colorado. So whether you're looking for dark fiber, for cable, a dedicated corporate network, or carrier-grade data transport. Seacom has the answers. Visit us at seacom.net or call us at 1-800-657-7149. Seacom, world-class communications right in your backyard. Hello to all of Derek's listeners. Thanks, Derek, for giving me time to share my heart's passion, encouraging cancer, long-term illness patients, and their families. Gilead is an outreach that encourages over 2,400 people in 38 states. Our goal is to bring hope and help to those on the journey through the unknowns of treatment, family stress, and spiritual questions. One such story is Eric, whose senior year in high school was interrupted by the cancer that he was diagnosed with, interrupting a three-sport high school year. It changed his life and his perspective. Today, Eric's family oversees a foundation helping to find a cure. We're currently in our 15th year. would love to have you as a partner, either as a volunteer or a gift financially. Look for us on Facebook at Gilead Ministries. Welcome back to this week with Patty Sheen on Blog Talk Radio. Good to have our listeners back. You're right here on Blog Talk Radio with Literary Speaking, Literally Speaking, and our guest today is author H.L. Wagley, who is the author of a four-book series entitled The Pure Genius Series. It is a wonderful thriller, Christian thriller suspense series. When we return from our break, we usually announce the winner of our giveaway Last week's giveaway, last week we had a lady on by the name of Chris Richards who founded the Words and Youth Writers Conference. She very 
graciously offered a free registration to that conference, which is being held on March 14th in Castle Rock, Castle Rock, Colorado. However, unfortunately, we didn't have any one who signed up for that giveaway, so we are extending it until the 28th of February. So if there's any teens out there in Colorado who are interested in attending this conference, please don't hesitate to come on over to my website, which is www.pattysheen.com. And under the Blog Talk Radio tab, under the giveaway page, there's a link that will take you to that extended giveaway. So please don't hesitate to sign up. We're also offering a young adult book entitled A Fistful of God. It's by Therese M. Travis. Very good story. So you have until the 28th of February to sign up for that. We will be doing a giveaway also here related to this show. We'll be announcing that here in just a few minutes. Harry? Yes. I I really enjoyed the Pineapple Express, and I'm going to explain to our readers why. The Pineapple Express begins with a young woman, Jennifer, your main character from your first book, Hide and Seek, extracting information from an illegal source while working in a high-risk job, namely the National Security Agency. This puts her and her fiancé partner in the position of having to be instrumental in rescuing young girls from human trafficking and drug smugglers, and all that in the midst of a horrific rain and windstorm that may isolate Jennifer and Lee from any outside help. You have packed just about as much excitement into that first page as you possibly could. And that's one of the things that really hooked me into your books. It's constant action. How do you write like that? Well, I think it began with uh, the kind of books I read as a kid. I had a buddy that was probably one of the best buddies any guy could have. His dad had the entire Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan collection. And we read all those books together. Um, And there's nothing but action in those for the most part. And and then we read his dad's Zane Grey collection with all all the old Western action. And so I grew up, and I watched movies that, uh, you know, the Westerns, lots of action. I I grew up with that Mm -hmm. being the kind of story that ran through my mind for years and years and years, and that's what I like. And so when I started writing, that's what I wanted to write. Um, but to, to how I do it, I, I guess I I usually plan some major events um, that are going to be part of the plot of the story. And in this case, on the Pineapple Express, I recreated the um, Columbus Day storm of 1962, which is the biggest windstorm to ever hit the western part of the United States. And um, so that had a lot of danger and built into it. The rainstorm that preceded yes. it, which begins on that first page of the book, um, was what we call the Pineapple Express, which is just a downpour that can last for days sometimes and causes flooding and mudslides and so forth. And, and then throw in the danger of the human traffickers, and um, there's not much room for anything but action. <laughs> Very true. Well, that was a good book. I enjoyed it very much. One of the things I noticed in Pineapple Express, you have Jennifer who has pretty much become rooted in her faith now. She she's still learning, but she she is pretty much believes in God and has developed a faith and yet 
she realizes that she actually wants to take the life of another human being when she's confronted with these traffickers and what they do. And I thought that was a a poignant point because often people look people who maybe not are Christian maybe are not Christians look at Christians and think that they only have pure wonderful thoughts always. Yes, I, I if it if I remember the scene correctly, um, one of the human traffickers just did something really bad um, to one of the girls. To one of the girls, I believe. And, yes. And Jennifer just says, I want to kill this man. And then she realizes mm-hmm. that she'd just previously been thinking about this man that was packing over her bag, back, his back as she was being carried off. I'm going to her out of the water. I've got some spoilers here, but I'll, I'll continue anyway. But he's carrying her <laughs> I along. I'm trying not to give away too much of the book. She can feel his heart beating as he's as he's carrying her, and she realizes this is an unregenerate heart, you know, an evil heart. And then a few minutes later, mm-hmm. she wants to kill a guy, and she realizes her heart isn't so very much different. Um, right. And that's something that I think we all have to deal with because we have to look at our own evil thoughts and evil actions and realize, well, that's the whole premise of the Christian religion is that we all need to be redeemed. And I think you bring that out very well. Now, Moon over Malaya Bay, in my opinion anyway, tell me if I missed the mark here, I see it, see that book, Harry, it's your third book in the series, in the Pure Genius series, and it deals with sacrificial love in the face of deadly revenge. In other words, these traffickers want to get revenge on Jennifer, and they do it in the worst possible way, and Lee will do anything in his power, including give up his own life to save her. Was that basically what you wanted to get across in, in that book? Um, that's a big part of it. <clears throat> the, the, to continue on that line of thinking, the... The sort of the verse that I've attached to Moon Over Ma'alaya Bay <clears throat> that shows the theme of it is um, hope in God. When things were so dark, um, looking so bleak for Jennifer and for Lee, too, not being able to find his yes. brand-new bride, um, Psalm 43.5 kind of sums it up and says, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And then in mm-hmm. Job Job 13, he says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So that Elohim Yakal, God of hope, was one of the things I wanted to portray um, in the circumstances that they found themselves in. I never left my characters without hope. Exactly. So when is that kind of what you were tri- looking for? Yeah, it is. I I wanted to make sure that I didn't, I mean, yeah, like I say, those two things that I brought out were the first two points, but that doesn't mean that they were the only points that you wanted to make in that book. When you wrote Triple Threat, I think this is my favorite of all four of the books, and in in my opinion, it describes the relentless anger unleashed against the United States by terrorist groups and the havoc they can wreak. And I have to ask you, Harry, some of the things that you wrote in that book about the the computer hacking and all that kind of thing. Yes. I'm curious <clears throat> to know, is that stuff that, like, can really happen? <laughs> um, yes. Uh, uh, both what my main character did to 
attack the the, the bad guys, and what uh-huh. the the cyber attacks um, what they were going to involve are are realistic. Um, unfortunately, we we're very vulnerable as a nation to cyber attacks uh, against mm-hmm. part of our infrastructure, and that's one of the things I wanted to kind of highlight in the story that we are very vulnerable, and I know the the government at, at all levels is is um, gearing up to protect against that, but it's going to be a while before we get to the point where we're very secure. Um, we're at, it's we're kind of scary. Secure from it. I'll tell you what. I think that was the most that was the scariest of all of the books because it's something that would impact every citizen in the United States and then in a very real manner. I was like, wow. <laughs> so I, I had to ask you another question. I kind of wonder is. I don't know how to say this, but you, you don't get in any trouble for <laughs> exposing all of this stuff and the way that people um, can do this? No, it's all information that's out there and known. Um, there's actually a, a website that I, I believe it's still up and operating to where <clears throat> all of the control systems in the world, including the United States in particular, um, Controllers that control like uh, power plants, water systems, um, other parts of the infrastructure. Any system that uses the software that's insecure is is in this database. And terrorists can simply go look it up and see which ones are vulnerable. Now we're oh, we're constantly goodness, that's scary. It is. We're constantly um, trying to secure those systems. So some of them will mm-hmm. will go away, and they may be in the database, but they're secured now. But many of them still aren't, and it takes time to secure them because the software itself is not secure. It was never meant to be exposed to the internet, but it is. Oh my goodness! I I was in fact I was showing my sister these books, and she said, "I think they would be way over my head." <laughs> I said, "Well, the things that he talks about in Triple Threat, I couldn't begin to." to follow. You know, I'm still trying to figure out some things in Microsoft Word <laughs> and to to read some of the things that you wrote about with all this hacking and all this, it's like just amazing to me. Well, one thing I tried to do is my characters are supposed to be very, very intelligent. So I tried to let yes. a few things go over the readers' heads so they would for believability. Mm-hmm. But I tried to explain it enough by maybe bouncing the idea off another character and have them explain or get an explanation so that the readers could understand the general gist of what was happening. Yeah, yeah. Well, I found it all quite fascinating, but I also found it very scary to think that there's this kind of threat out there. (laughs) My goodness. Even the forest fire threat that I mentioned, was it was real. It's something that jihadists have been trying to incite people in our country to do. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty scary. Well, I want to get back to your writing a little bit, Harry. From the standpoint of a second career writer, because basically you didn't really become serious about your writing for publication until after you had retired. Is that correct? That's correct. I had written a lot of stuff in the scientific world, but never any fiction. Right. So with that in mind, what was the most difficult obstacle for you to overcome your journey to publication? Um, <laughs> this may sound um, a bit right, odd. I say overcome on your journey, sorry. <laughs> probably my own impatience. 
was the biggest obstacle. Okay. Uh, because at my age, you know, I didn't know how long. Who, we never know how long we have on this earth, but I knew mm-hmm. my time was limited because I was already uh, past retirement age when I started writing. Right. Um, you know, I am a very impatient person, as my wife can attest, testify to. I don't like red <laughs> lights. I don't like heavy traffic. I can get a bit crazy when there are too many impediments of any kind. Um, mm-hmm. When I took up writing fiction after retiring, knowing I may not have a lot of years left, then I heard established writers saying things like, it took me 14 years to get published. Well, did I have yeah. even 14 years left? Um, <laughs> so I kind of jumped the gun on everything I did, you know, learning the craft of fiction, writing my first three books, trying to get them published. And fortunately, I wasn't in a track meet where if you jump the gun twice, you're disqualified. But I did have yes. to rewrite my first story twice before it won a contract. Um, uh-huh. Because I, I started writing before I knew the craft, and that was started trying to that, put it out there before you were ready. Right, I've tried to rush everything, and that was probably the biggest mm-hmm. mistake that I made. Um, but um, I had another obstacle to overcome. I don't think it had so much to do with being a second career writer as it just being me, a natural born introvert. I tend to keep personal feelings to myself like my dad did, and um, mm-hmm. my first novel, when I, uh, my wife and I determined we were going to put some romance in this story, um, I didn't want to read the first draft to anybody <laughs> because it revealed <laughs> too much of me, especially since of your the main personal... character was... Sure. But it does, I think as writers, we do have to voluntarily expose ourselves to criticism, ridicule, all sorts of unpleasant scrutiny. Um, it took a while to become hardened to all that. But, it's a very um, difficult step for a writer to take, I know. Yeah, it feels like you're just kind of turning yourself inside out and letting everybody have a look. Exactly, yeah. Now, were you ever a part of a critique group, Harry? That's what helped me a lot. Yes, I'm, I'm part of a mm-hmm. small critique group. A um, um, couple of ladies that write in my local area we met at uh, Oregon Christian Writers Conference a few years ago, and we live far enough apart. We don't get together a lot, but we do whenever we can. And that kind of took that the the fear of being exposed out of me, getting to know people that are reviewing your work and you reviewing yes. theirs, and it, it kind of goes away after a while. And I think that relates back to what we were discussing earlier about the honest reviews if you have a crit- critique partners that are really going to be honest with you, instead of trying to make you feel good and tell you that your work isn't is great when it really isn't great, and then you go to put it out there to professionals and they look at you and well, well my critique group liked it. Well, it's still not good enough. So you really have to have some honest critiquers that you can trust. And that takes a little bit of time to build that relationship. But once you do, it's invaluable to a writer. It is. My first experience with critique of any kind was really a shock. I had this story in mind, my first story, Hide and Seek. Uh, My wife and I went down to Lake Havasu and spent a week down there so I could write in the sun because I don't do so well up here in Seattle when it gets gray and gloomy. Um, 
I need a little sunshine. So we went down there. And it gets great. Ba- gloomy there a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I basically wrote that story in seven days, except for the closing oh chapters. And I thought, I've done it. Nothing to write in a novel. My masterpiece is all done. Then I took it and uh, signed up for Writer's Digest, um, Writer University Advanced Novel Writing Seminar. Mm-hmm. And it got critiqued by the instructor. And I was shocked. <laughs> I had to rewrite it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I started a couple of those courses and never did finish them. That takes a lot of self-discipline to do those uh, correspondence courses and finish them on time, which unfortunately I didn't have. Harry, it's time. It's actually one minute past time for our giveaway. Oh, okay. And I don't know if we're going to have our jingle here. Here we go. It's time for Let's Speak Literary Steel of the Week. To our, listener, to our listeners this week, we are giving away a choice of either one of Harry's last two books in his series, either Moon Over Malaya Bay or Triple Threat. The way a listener enters the giveaway is to go to my website, which is www.pattysheen.com. Under the Blog Talk Radio tab, you will find a page that says Giveaway, and that all you do is leave a comment. There's a place at the very bottom that says leave comment or add comment, I believe it says. And there's a small form. It asks for your name and your uh, location, which can be very generic, and your email address. I need to reiterate that I'm the only person who will see that email address unless you actually leave it in the body of the comment. So I'm the only one that will see that, and I don't solicit anything with your email address. The only reason I need it is to notify you if you should be the winner of the contest. We will run this contest until next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which will be the 23rd of February. So please feel free to... Enter this uh, this drawing for uh, one of Harry's books. I think you will enjoy it immensely, just as I have. Also, I would like to bring attention to Harry's website. Harry has a website, and it is www.hlwegley.com. Harry, there's no periods after the initials, correct? No periods. Okay. Okay. So we urge our listeners to uh, go check out Harry's website. He's got uh, a fair amount of information on there about his books and his writing. Harry, I wanted to ask you, I'm so curious about your writing, but in some ways I'm almost more curious about what you did before you wrote, (laughs) because I think your, your career was so fascinating. Did you feel that you were able to I don't know that I want to use the word promote, but you were able to talk about your Christian religion, your Christian faith in the other jobs that you held, or is that something that you weren't really comfortable sharing um, in your different positions throughout your life? Well, you know, I'm going to back up to um, when I came in the military. 
at the time I was in, it didn't matter. You could talk about your faith. This was back there in the uh-huh. Vietnam War era, and it wasn't a problem. Um, my next job was with a national laboratory where I was doing scientific research. And the interesting thing oh, is... Oh, but that was interesting. It was. Um, I only had a... I only started out with a bachelor's degree, and I got my master's as I was working there. So I was working with a lot of PhDs. Um, and I believe there were a lot more Christians, or at least theists, and people that believed in God, among the scientists mm-hmm. I worked with than at the Fortune 500 really? company that I worked with later. There are probably some reasons for that. You know what? I find that very interesting. Go ahead. Um if you get into the physical sciences, there are a lot more Christians and theistic um, people of theistic beliefs uh, there than you find in the softer sciences like psychology, biology. Uh, but I was working among people well, that were at- that. atmospheric scientists, um, and there were a lot of a lot of Christians among them. So there wasn't a problem talking with them. Um, uh-huh. When I went to work for a Fortune 500 company, where I worked for a little over 20 years. Uh, times were changing because this was where political correctness was first being born and then spreading throughout uh, the corporate world, and that really put a damper on what you could say. Um, we could still, you know, live out our our beliefs by working hard, sure. being conscientious, you know, helping others. Um, but sharing your faith was something you had to be a little bit careful of doing. Is number one, you could turn off somebody's mind very quickly, and they wouldn't listen to you anymore if you offended them. And then mm-hmm. you could also get in trouble with management, depending on how you did it. So you had to kind of, you know, sort of walk a picket fence in the corporate world. Right. Uh, I don't know if that, right. Well, I find that, that interesting. Your... The comment that you made. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. I find it I interesting just... the comment you made about scientists because I always thought scientists were kind of. I view them as being opposed to Christian explanations of things, and I guess that's not necessarily true. You know, the evidence is so strong for creation, especially in the physical sciences where things are not so disputable. Um, you know, most of the softer sciences are based upon theories that are still unproven or theories that just don't even hold water. But in the physical sciences... Mm-hmm where we have a better handle on things. We can measure, look, see. Um, have something concrete. Yeah, more concrete. You find more people that accept that evidence and do um, come to faith. Mm-hmm. Well, I just kind of wondered about that because I had read, of course, on your website about your, your past experiences and all, and I and. And it's obvious through your writing that you have a very strong faith. And I thought, hmm, I wonder if if uh, he had a hard time, you know, in his in his career, more or less, uh, not so much living out your faith, but just sharing it with others, basically. Well, it's certainly not easy to do in today's corporate world. Um, no, the it kids is not. That are, You're right. The kids that are entering it now uh, have the the deck stacked against them, so to speak. Um, there are a lot of uh, problems just swimming you know, against mm-hmm. the current as a Christian out there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's tough on young people today, that's for sure. Well, Harry, I have very much enjoyed visiting with you. Is there anything else you would like to share with us? 
before we have we have to close out the show in about seven minutes. I do want to reiterate to our readers to please, our listeners to please, go to Harry's website, which is www.hlwegley.com, W-E-G-L-E-Y, and go to my website, which is www.pattysheen.com, and enter the drawing for either one of the last two of Harry's books in his Pure Genius series. I think you'll find it to be a amazing read, the whole series. So let me encourage you all to do that. Harry, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show. Well, thanks a lot for having me. And it's been I, a lot I guess of fun. I... I always enjoy talking to authors and finding out where they get their ideas and how they write their stories, and it's always exciting. Well, I was just going to say, do we have time for... Share something real quickly, or are we about done here? Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, for for anyone out there listening that's an aspiring author, I would highly recommend that you learn a little bit of the craft before you start writing that first manuscript. Um, I know (laughs) when a story's running running around in your head, it's hard to not start writing it. But I can tell you from experience that it's harder to rewrite it, especially for the third or fourth time, than it is to to uh, learn a little bit of the craft and write it the first time. Um, write it so right would, the first time, huh? Write it uh, somewhere near right, anyway, and an editor can help you the rest of the way. But um, if you've got a story running around in your head, I would suggest outline the story so you don't lose it, but then go go back, learn some of the craft, and structure that outline so it, it is a good, structured, well-structured story, and then learn learn the craft, how to write dialogue and evoke emotion in your readers and make your story will come alive. And then when you're ready to write, write the story. It costs a little time on the front end, but it, it uh, will enable you to finish that story a lot more quickly and get on and write your second one rather than be, spend time rewriting the first one for the third or fourth time. There you go. I'm into that. I agree. And also remind our reviewers that if you do review a book and you don't care for the book and you write a a review that's a two or three star review or even lower than that be sure and let your author know why you didn't care for that book because it's a lesson that they can learn as to improving their writing craft so give your authors the the courtesy of doing that for them harry once again thank you so much we wish you the very best with all of your books I'm looking forward to reading some others. When is your next book coming out? Do you have another one coming out soon? Well, I have one coming out sometime this year. It's uh, I'm reluctant to say a lot about it. It's a political thriller. It's a full-length oh, wow. novel, longer <laughs> than what I've written before, and um, Great. I think my writing's improved. So <laughs> uh, we like um, to think that, huh? Over the years. Yeah. I'm I'm going to start leaking information about it out on my website bit by bit until oh, we're ready to to start marketing it. So very good. All righty, Harry. Well, thank you so very much. Well, thank you a lot for for having me, Pat. It's been a, a enjoyable conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Harry. I would like to give our listeners a little preview of what we have next week. Next week, we have an author by the name of Jennifer Slattery. Jennifer Slattery will discuss, will discuss her novels, and she also works at a homeless mission in the home, Omaha area. So 
I think she will be a very interesting guest. She can give us some insight into what it's like to to work in a uh, in a ministry such as that. I hope that you have a safe trip back. I'm looking forward to having you back here in the studio. <laughs> yes, I'm looking for. Well, I'm looking forward to being back, but I'll tell you what, I've had a wonderful time. Of course, the time always goes by too fast when you're visiting family. Sure. Remind our listeners before we close out the show to let your heart be open to what God is telling you through your imagination and act upon it. God bless everyone. There is a in every soul, some brightly burning, some dark and cold, there is a spirit who brings a fire, ignites a